You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Sawn Outdoors Podcast. All right, everybody, super short and sweet today. Do yourself a favor right now, while you're listening to this, go check out kingscamo.com. And then at checkout, after you've filled your cart up with all kinds of awesome, super cool things, best price, the best pattern, the best performance stuff out there, your cart's all full of it, tons of goodness in the cart, you're going to use the discount code SAN, S-A-H-N, at checkout. Right there, discount code S-A-H-N for 15% off of everything in that cart. Kingscamo.com, S-A-H-N, SON at checkout. All right, Ian here. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another SON Outdoors podcast. This one is especially fun for me because I got to go and record it kind of on my own out in Denver. Uh, I live out in Denver and... Kate and Zach are out in the Salt Lake-ish area, so some distance, but I was able to get out and get these guys on this podcast here. Um, we've got Eric Myrie and Ryan Henderlong, who are huge conservation conservationists. Ugh, that's, a, that's a tough word sometimes. Huge conservationists um, just all around, and these guys own a shop called Basin and Bend that's in Evergreen, and... Um, these guys give 11% of the revenue of every purchase. So not 11% tacked onto the top where you're paying more for this product. It's all your favorite brands, uh, just solid, solid hunting and fishing gear. And from their revenue, their profits, they're putting 11% of every purchase back to a specific hunting uh, or fishing-related conservation effort. We get into all the details in this podcast. It's super inspiring. I had a great time. I learned a lot uh, at the end. Both these guys are very accomplished fishermen, so of course we get into some tips and tactics on fishing, fly fishing and spin casting, just all of it. There's no specific need to call one better than the other. Uh, we get into all of that, all of that on this podcast, and it's super great. I really enjoyed these guys' company, and just really glad I was able to do this, so enjoy. Coming to you live from Evergreen, Colorado. Here we are. All right, well, yeah, here we are in Evergreen, Colorado, at Basin and Bend with Eric and Ryan. So, good evening. Good evening. Hello, hello. Yeah. Here alone in the shop. It's looking good. It's weird. It's kind of quiet. It's too quiet. I like it. I like the quiet. I think I'd probably get upset every time someone came in and disrupted the quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess, first of all, you guys want to just do a quick intro on yourself, like, small short bio who you are what you like to do and then we'll get into basin and bend a little bit sure so i'm eric myrie and i hail originally from wisconsin grew up uh literally a five minute bike ride from the mississippi river and finished up college out there and then uh headed west like a lot of folks 
and uh, been here ever since for almost 20 years now. Uh, actually grew up on the Mississippi fishing for everything, pike, bass, sunnies, spent pretty much every waking moment of the summer doing that. Also did a lot of uh, bow hunting back there and gun hunting as well. Um, you know, kind of went out with my dad and, and all that. So a lot of that carried over here to Colorado, but it was all new. Um, you know, the whole Western hunting hunting experience yeah. was completely different, but it uh, took a little bit to get get on the, the page with that and, and figure that all out. But uh, I've been doing that out here now as well and uh, enjoy it. Awesome. Cool. Uh, my name is Ryan Henderlong. And I was born originally, well, I guess you're only born once. Uh, <laughs> the so first time. The first time I was born. Uh, Northwest Indiana, Crown Point, about 45 minutes outside of Chicago. And grew up on a, on a big piece of property, re- well, relatively speaking, five, six acres we had, um, which butted up to a county park. It's probably a, a thousand or a couple thousand acres in that park. So uh, surrounded by cornfields, had a thousand acre lake down the street from us so I grew up uh, as a kid I would you know weekends first thing in the morning I'd be out the door with a, a fishing pole in my hand and backpack full of snacks and juice boxes and back before and I was gone yeah I was back before dark uh, and then that theme kind of carried over my my buddies and I growing up we were all into that uh, spent my all of my free time mountain biking general exploration mayhem of of whatever kind we could find uh, it was pretty much always geared towards outdoors, camping and hiking and fishing. And uh, same story as Eric. We're going after bass, catfish. Um, towards the end of my time there, I got into musky fishing, which is an interesting thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, got into photography, became a professional photographer, had a commercial studio there, did did a lot of work in the Midwest. Very cool. And... Um, uh, got to the point where I worked myself into the office running a business instead of being the photographer yeah. out in the field doing the stuff that I really <laughs> love doing. And um, uh, I, I guess I did that for about 15 years. The last the last few years just spent in the office and uh, not not so good for the soul. I spent all my free time coming out west and and uh, I guess I was 30 years old when I moved out here and um, just kind of arbitrarily picked property because it was the right property and here i am and here's basin and ben and here's basin (laughs) and ben yada 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 and there it is (laughs) so how did you guys meet that's an interesting story it is an interesting i love interesting stories so when ryan picked a random property out here in colorado it just so happened to be connected basically to my property and i was uh the house had been vacant for a while. Yeah, a couple of years. <clears throat> and uh, one day I noticed there was a raging bonfire <laughs> through the woods in the middle of the summer. And it, I was like, oh, that's a little interesting, you know. It's, I wasn't there before. <laughs> and uh, so I walked over there. And sure enough, Ryan and his, his uh, wife, Kathy, were sitting around the, the fire. And I was like, hello. <laughs> Actually, it was, a, it, was a, it was dark out. We're sitting there just talking. And all of a sudden we hear... I'm coming in. Here <laughs> <laughs> <Then> comes Eric. <laughs> Out of the shadows, through the woods. So, yeah, we've got a little bit of woods that separates our, our houses. And, uh, yeah, just all of a sudden we had new neighbors and 
started talking and had a lot of things in common and just like that, <laughs> you know, you, you can never pick your neighbors, but it's good yeah. when you actually have good neighbors. And, uh, yeah, we've kind of been best buds, I guess you could say. Ever oh, since. best oh, friends. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that kind of sums it up. I mean, I, I remember leaving that conversation like, wow, that's weird. I think we might have been separated at birth or something like, <laughs> just into all the same stuff like conversation just right off the bat and then after that first conversation it was like just old friends you guys doing karate in the garage or doing karate in the garage we built bunk <laughs> right. beds, built some bunk beds. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right on yeah That's but i mean between all the all of our love for the outdoors i mean blues music it just it yeah there, there's a lot to talk about and we we sat around that fire for a long time that night and i I think the whiskey might have came out at some point. And that was a that was another thing. It was, uh, hey, let me go get you beer. What do you want? And his immediate answer, without hesitating, was, I don't drink beer. <laughs> Where I immediately considered selling the property. <laughs> <laughs> I've since turned him over to the dark side. He drinks beer now. Yes, that is true. <laughs> Been to many a BHA pint nights. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So... Become best friends, bunk beds, karate garage, and uh, <laughs> so how did that? How did all of that lead to base in a bed? What What was the? Sure. So it's kind of an interesting story. So I guess it was maybe where? What year are we in now? Twenty eighteen. <laughs> uh, it was almost ten years ago now. Uh, I was I was working the typical corporate job. I was running a, a marketing department uh, for a technology company, and I had been there for almost a decade. And, uh, you know, I was kind of getting getting to that point where I was like, you know, I'm, this is f- kind of fun, but I, I don't know, know that I want to do this, you know, for the rest of my life and uh, working in an office and all that. So uh, I, I basically, I bailed, and uh, me and a buddy took a, a kind of a crazy road trip, and we drove from from Colorado all the way down to the very tip of Patagonia and had all kinds of crazy adventures along the way and you know just about everything you can imagine could happen on a trip like that pretty much happened and uh you know it was it was like one of those just life-changing experiences well um when we got you know down we we kind of tried to fish our way along along the route you know through Central America and, and into South America and all that but we we hit Ecuador and uh we had a bunch of gear, pretty much stolen anything that wasn't locked down. We literally came into a little church, and fr- we parked in front of a little church in this town square. Went for half an hour and got got some lunch. Came back, the side door. We were in one of these like hippie vans, right? In your yeah. Volkswagen van. So this was like your stereotypical like midlife crisis. Let's go on a big <laughs> road trip. And uh, that the big sliding door was wide open when we came back, and we're like, uh oh, that's not good. <laughs> so basically, everything in that van had been anything that wasn't lockdown was gone just like that dang so all of our fly fishing gear um all of our flies everything and uh so we got down to patagonia and we're like all right now what like we've got no waders we've got no we we had a couple of rods still we didn't have any fly lines and reels and stuff like that so we started procuring all this equipment, and then our, our now wives flew down and met us in Buenos Aires for Christmas, and they brought us a bunch of gear and kind of resupplied us and all that. And uh, Some good women. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, they, you know, I actually, I left for that trip on my wedding anniversary. Uh, 
the day before was my my wife's birthday, and then we actually left for the trip on my anniversary. So, uh, yeah, very understanding. <laughs> True, a good party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, just to have that experience to have that that amount of basically freedom and free time to just go explore, right? I mean, that's I I always consider myself a kind of a natural born explorer. I, I I'm happiest when I'm out in the wild exploring, just seeing new places. I mean, yeah. I, I'm that type of person that I want to see what's over that next ridge, right? Yeah. So just to have have that much time and that big block of time of, of just going and seeing cool things, you know, we, we kind of basically fished. We were trout bums for, you know, three months down in Patagonia and saw a lot of cool water, and that just really ignited a, a passion in me for fly fishing. I, I'd been doing it. I actually didn't fly fish until until I moved to Colorado. So where I grew up, I was literally in the heart of the Driftless area in Wisconsin, which is some of the finest kind of coolies and, and valleys yeah. up in that area. But I, I was more of a river fisherman, right? I, I didn't even pick up a fly rod, and I was literally in the heart of some of the best fly fishing in that area. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I literally caught my first fish out here on a fly rod. Um, I had a buddy at work that we took an extended lunch. I finally convinced him to take me fishing, and we... We went to Boulder Creek and we literally caught a fish that day. That was my first fish. I couldn't. I, t- I could tell you it was a trout. At that point, I didn't even know if it was a rainbow <laughs> trout or brown trout. You know, I yeah. just hadn't seen him enough to know. So, kind of that's where it all kind of started from the from the fly fishing side. And then, like I said, this trip uh, a few years later just really ignited that fire. And doing it every day, I was like, man, this is this is something I I really you know want to spend time doing. So when I got back. Um, I'd still been doing a little bit of work for that, that company that I had left, but, uh, there just happened to be an opening for, at a fly shop and they were looking for somebody to do marketing, uh, in Boulder. So, um, I was able to join onto that and, and just loved, you know, being able to be in that industry and learn about, you know, fly fishing and just everything that goes along with it and that lifestyle. And, um, you know, fast forward a few years and I, I actually, uh, was at an, a, another shop uh, here on the Front Range, and then eventually uh, ended up at a one, literally one of the, the largest outdoor companies in the world, and uh, was doing marketing for them as well. And the one thing I kept noticing was, you know, there everybody is is selling this gear and doing all this this stuff for the outdoors, but they're it didn't seem like there was enough being done to conserve the outdoors to, you know, we're, we're all selling gear to go out and enjoy it, but not necessarily putting money back into making sure that that's there for future generations. Right. right? So it just so happened circumstances, uh, allowed me to kind of have the freedom to look at a, a new, a new option. And, uh, basin and Ben was basically my, my solution to, combine the things I love and that I'm good at, you know, from the fly fishing and the, and the hunting side and, and kind of this understanding the retail side of things. But I wanted to be able to bring in the conservation side. And so that was where kind of this whole conservation first idea came out of was, you know, can, can I use my skills and and the retail and the commerce to basically help raise money for conservation in general? You know, um, 
I had seen I had seen all these other organizations, you know, some of them are giving back, but a lot of times it's all right, we're giving a, a portion of our proceeds or our profits back to conservation, which is great. I mean, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that's that's a good start. But as a consumer, you never really get to see what that dollar amount is. You never, you know, accountants can can manipulate books however they want, you know. Sure. Not however they want, but to there's extent, a lot of yeah, things that can be done, you know, yeah. f- from the profit side that m- it may be, you know, maybe end up being 10 bucks that mm-hmm. that company actually gives back to to conservation. So I wanted to, to kind of focus it more on the whole retail experience being built around you're buying this gear and we're leveraging commerce to put money back into con- conservation. So we actually do it where it's all based on revenue. And as you check out either in store or on the website, we show you exactly how many dollars are going to go back to a specific conservation project. I've seen that. It's very cool on the bottom yeah. of your little checkout there. Right. Yeah. So that that was important to me that, you know, it, it wasn't just a normal sporting goods shop. It wasn't what a lot of people, other people are doing. The entire experience was around conservation. You know, there's a lot of conservation organizations out there that are very good from a marketing standpoint of generating funds for projects and, and generating donations and things like that, mm-hmm. right? But I, I also always felt that a lot of these organizations are not good at, at telling their story of how that money is being used. It's hard to keep up with these different organizations of, you know, are they funneling to on-the-ground projects? Mm-hmm. Is it going to lawyers for lobbying, you know, for, right. um, you know, whatever. There's, there's a lot of different of ways that, yeah. you know, and it all needs money. But for me, it was important to be able to not only show the customer what what dollar amount they are contributing to a project, but also a specific project that someday they can go and hopefully enjoy. You know, let's right. say a decade down the road, whether it's a native trout restoration, whether it's, you know, securing more lands, you know, for the public to to go out and hunt and fish on. I, I wanted them to be able to, the, the consumer to be able to actually see that, to have something tangible. And so you built this shop around that idea. Just right. that you want to be able to supply that sort of visual representation of where a specific dollar amount is going from every purchase. Right. And I wanted, I wanted to be able to – so the way we do it is we, we rotate that, that conservation nonprofit every quarter. And so that gives us enough time to, you know, fully learn about that, that conservation organization, you know, have some engagements with them, and then help basically spread their message to our customer base – and so instead of, you know, we're trying to trying to change the the content, if you will, where it's not just all, you know, how you use this gear, you know, how you become a better hunter angler. It's also this is what's going on in the conservation world and this is where your help is needed, whether it's to go sign a petition, whether it's to go make a public comment on a, a new policy that's being enacted, mm-hmm. whether it's to, you know, even go show up for a local, you know, parks and wildlife um, meeting, you know, that's going to dictate season dates and things like that. Right. Um, it's basically to, became, to become that conduit between the conservation organizations and the hunters and anglers and just keep that information flowing between the two. I think that's huge and important because a question that I get a lot with some of the, the BHA things you know we see each other at is how can I help? People don't right. always know what they can be doing or even sometimes where to find the information. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's 
it's a very common theme. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and so you know the the other thing that that surprises people is the amount that we give back. You know, there's a lot of organizations that are out there that different different outfits are a member of. Let's say the two percent for conservation, and and again, that's that's very good. That's that's still money going back to conservation. But I wanted to up the ante and make it so it wasn't that we were just kind of doing this for you know, a false... Like that uh, little warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah, exactly. Publicity yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't want to come across that this is just kind of getting on the conservation bandwagon because it is becoming more important and there's more people that are realizing that, yeah, we do need to, to help, you know, put funds into preserving what we all love. So we actually upped it to a full 11% on, on your purchase. So everybody always asks, well, where, you know, why 11%, why not 10 and that that actually came from the the same concept as the Wildlife and, and Sport Fish Restoration Act, which is a lot a lot of times more commonly known as the Pittman Robertson Act right. or the uh, Dingle Johnson Act. And basically, that's an excise tax tax on the manufacturing side for you know things like guns, ammo, uh, various fishing equipment, and things along those lines. And so I basically wanted to take that that concept and bring it to the retail. So, right. you know, just, just like everybody is basically buying this gear to go out and enjoy the outdoors. Some of that is generating, you know, literally a billion dollars of, yeah. of money that is spread out into the States for, you know, whether it's conservation, education, the type of things that we want, you know, to, right. to be able to continue doing what we like to do. I wanted to basically bring that same concept to the retail side so that everything you purchase you know, it's not just specific categories. Everything you purchase in our shop is going to contribute to that conservation organization. That's incredible. And the difference, though, is between what an excise tax is or a tax is something that's added on to the purchase of another thing. So it's not, what we're doing is not adding anything on to the purchase price. Right. We're taking it, and, you know, to put it plainly, literally out of our pockets, the sales of this company. Right. You said it's based on the revenue. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's really a sacrifice on our side with the intent of doing something that is extremely important uh, to Eric and I, but I think to everyone. But if you come in and you, you see a product and it's got a price tag on it, it's going to have the same price tag on that basically anywhere else you find it. But when you purchase it through us, we're taking a portion of the profits and funneling it back into conservation. Right. So, yeah, so it's not an additional thing that we're, you know, tacking on to the end user, which makes it a little bit different from, from things like going on elsewhere Robertson and from an, any Johnson. kind of an excise tax. Right. Yeah, that's that's one thing I noticed. You know, I, I always kind of wondered, like, well, where are these guys, where are these guys adding that in, you know? But but you're not. Nope. You walk around this shop, everything's same price. I've seen it at any other sporting goods store. You're not upping the, the price on anything. Right. I think it's... And, that, and that's the thing, you know, these days you literally can jump on online and, you know, have anything that we have here in our shop. It's, it's not that unique that you can't find that online. But the, the thought is that, you know, if you can, you can pay the same exact price at shop A and shop B mm-hmm. at our shop, knowing that 11% of that is going to go back to protecting what you love, we hope that the, you know, the consumer is going to make that choice and, and buy it from us. So that's, that's the basic business model, right? That, yeah. you know, we're, we're doing something good with your purchase Yeah, that yeah. you can go back and enjoy whatever it is, five, 10 years from now. Right. So that's incredible. Yeah. Very cool guys.
So what are some of the, the organizations you guys like to help out, if you don't mind speaking a little bit? I mean, we don't have to get into the depth of like every yeah. organization here, but you know, just, just a quick rundown. I think some names are going to start flying that people recognize. It. Yeah, so I mean, we, we focus on organizations that are doing things for the greater hunter angler community and, and, and the things they like. So, you know, we, we like to say we're, we're helping to conserve, you know, the fish that pull, the animals we pursue, and the wild places that they live in. You know, so it's, yeah. it's, that kind of encompasses all the different organizations that we would consider as, as a, a conservation partner. So whether that's, you know, backcountry hunters and anglers and, and their effort to, to you know, preserve and, and protect our public lands to Trout Unlimited and making sure that, you know, we've got clean, cold water uh, across the country to, you know, Western Native Trout Initiative that literally focuses more on a, a specific niche of making sure we've got native uh, species, native trout and char species across the entire western, you know, western part of the country mm-hmm. in their in their home ranges and, and basically restoring those populations to what they, they once were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even even organizations like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation, um, Western Rivers Conservancy. So, you know, it's a lot of a lot of organizations that are focused on the resources themselves that we as hunters and anglers enjoy. Very cool. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of big names in there. Mm-hmm. A lot of great organizations. Absolutely. So who who's up next? Next quarter. So where are we? We're, at? we're pretty You're close to the end, end of the this quarter, right? Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Monday. So yeah, Monday? on, on uh, I guess on so by the time this thing airs. Yeah. It'll be Colorado Trout Unlimited. Very cool. And we actually identified, again, you know, I, I said I, I, I like to have a specific project that we can, we can show people where that money is going to. So this specific project is a, a joint project with Colorado Parks and Wildlife and the National Forest Service along with Colorado Trout Unlimited. And we're basically helping to restore a drainage uh, over in South Park, just outside of Jefferson, Colorado. Uh, that the, the project is already underway, but it's a, a multi-year, it's going to be three to four years by the time it's all said and done, uh, where they're basically taking, it's, it's Rock Creek, which is over by uh, Lost Park Road. Mm-hmm. And basically we are preparing the river or the creek right now with some, um, some basically temporary dams so that the water, water drainage above those dams can be treated remove all the invasive species, so basically all the brook trout that are in there right now, remove all those, and there's also been uh, a occurrence of whirling de- disease in there. So they need oh, to yeah. give it time, so they, they need to remove all the brook trout, basically all the host, you know, host fish, mm-hmm. give it time to let the whirling disease die out because it won't have any hosts to, to reproduce, essentially. And, and then we'll come back in, and we will replace... Uh, those fish with native uh, greenback cutthroat, Colorado state fish. Nice. And so that's going to create a a little meadow population between Rock Creek and the Black Canyon, and that actually eventually flows into Terriol Creek, which is one of the the bigger creeks down there in in South Park. And it'll it'll be protected by an actual permanent dam structure, a fish barrier that won't allow any of these other invasive species to get up into that drainage. Uh-huh. So that's going to create a, a population that, you know, can start creating its own uh, genetics, if you will, or, you know, 
getting mm-hmm. getting a lot of diversity in the genetics because the problem with the, this strain of the the greenback cutthroat is they all come out of Bear Creek and not the Bear Creek here in Evergreen, but the one that's down near Colorado Springs. Okay, that's where they found the remnant population that genetically matched a specimen that they had taken. I want to say it's about a hundred years ago. Oh, wow. um, and it was, they still had a, a tissue sample in the Smithsonian Institute. So the technology advanced enough that they could actually test that wow. and test the genetics of these fish that they found in Bear Creek and that old old sample. So they knew that they actually had a little population of genetically pure greenback cutthroat so that, this that is, were originally here. This is the native species. Right. So the problem is trying to get those those fish to reproduce properly and all that is hard because it's such a small uh, a, a small gene pool. If yeah, you know. right. So creating these different populations, and so CPW has been you know actively creating populations across the state to help you know basically strengthen strengthen the population in case of fires and things like that. You know we could have a, a major fire come into right. a drainage and, and wipe out our entire population. So spread them out around the around the state and create these kind of conservation strongholds. Uh, of the of the species, so that it's it has a chance to survive and and like I said, kind of enhance that gene pool so that they start creating their own little independent populations. So I might, I sh- maybe I should know this, but I don't. So I'm going to ask. It, down in the Bear Creek by the Springs, where they found this fish, is that the only place this exists right now? It is. Wow. So that that's where they they took the original brood stock. And they've got, uh, so they, they took them out of there, and they've got a basically a stronghold of them up in Zimmerman Lake. And so actually within the next few weeks here, they were doing some um, some harvesting of, of eggs and, and um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Sperm. No. <laughs> <laughs> the old S word. Right. That they're, uh, I don't even know where you're going. Yeah. I'm, well, they're, they're I'm, basically... I'm Totally blanking on the name of it. <laughs> you can cut that out. Fish, fish, fish reproduction <laughs> stuff. Is that what we're going with here? Yeah, yeah. But there's just, there's a name for it. Okay. That blanket on. Yeah, I'm I'm not aware of the word you're looking for. Basically, so, har- harvesting the eggs and and then fertilizing them. Gotcha. And yeah. Put it put taking them to the hatchery to to create new ones. Very cool. But and so this next quarter. 11% of all your sales here is going towards that specific project. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's awesome. That's online, too. So if anyone buys something online. Correct. Yeah. That also money's online going to yeah. that project. Exactly. And there's a lot of information about the product or project that will be on the website. And that was another piece of the puzzle here, the, the transparency from the project to the, the consumer here at the shop. Yeah. So it's one thing to say, yeah, we're donating some money to conservation. And then you can step it up by saying, well, we're working with Trout Unlimited. But then to say we're working on this project and just follow the site, you know, follow the project through our website. And also the idea would be here's the the situation that exists currently. Mm -hmm. And through our funding and and funding through all kinds of other organizations, um, the project will come to fruition and there will be an end result. So be it two years down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road. Somebody could literally say, hey, I remember that backpack that I bought over at Basin and Ben, and they were funding this project, and they drove down that street, and they're able to hike back in there and see it and 
you know, potentially catch one of those native greenback cutthroats. Yeah. So having that transparency so people know that it's a real thing. You know, it's not, uh, you know, just a generic, we're doing this for conservation. Right, yeah. Just, yeah. just, just makes a big difference, I think. Sale. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And that's, you know, the long-term goal. I want to, even though this one does happen to be in Colorado, we've, we have funded some projects in other states, and, and the goal is to basically do this nationwide, you know, so that mm-hmm. a decade from now we have a, a big map of, you know, the impact we've made across the country that people can go and enjoy these these projects that have, have completed. And then, you know, we obviously know on your purchase what when that purchase is made so we can keep the consumer up to date with anything that does happen. Because a lot of these projects are longer term, right? They yeah. may take three to five years or even longer um, to fully complete them. So, you know, to be able to come back and say, hey, here's an update on, you remember, you know, kind of like what Ryan mm-hmm. was saying, you know, you made that purchase back in, you know, 2018 it's 2022 now everything's done you know go out and enjoy it let us yep, know how it is right? right and then yeah. even even from our standpoint i think that would be fun to as us you know creating content and whatnot going out to these sites that we did help provide funds for right. and and go experience it for ourselves and then share that yeah. with with people as well so that's great that's great the other thing i've noticed about you guys is that you're you're always trying to come up with ways to kind of be more involved and give back to the community here. And neither one of you live here. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but you're very involved with this town. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lifestyle, right? Whether it's fly fishing, it's hunting, there is there is a community that, that grows around it. You know, it, it can be online or it can be in person. And I think we both enjoy people, you know, yeah. and, and enjoy like-minded people right so the people that we are just happen to be our customers are also people that we would yeah completely enjoy sitting around a campfire with or going hiking up a mountain with or you know spending time on the stream with so it's yeah it's it's a a nice benefit of of having a shop like this that just happens to be something that we're passionate about and love doing that it draws in people that we probably get along with yeah. just fine. And that, that I sense. think what you're bringing up leads into something that we have been talking about since, since this started to be put together was, and we kind of generically called it just the social aspect of the store. What mm-hmm. can we do? That's a little bit outside of general business, not necessarily come in and buy stuff right. and, you know, contribute to conservation and, and go about your business. So we threw it around. We've been talking about it. And finally, um, and like most things, we found that it, putting a, a project together takes a lot more than you think when you're talking about it. You know, <laughs> yes, like, yeah, it well, we can, we'll just do this. Yeah. And yeah. people will come and we'll have a good time. You build it, so we finally, we finally put the program together that we settled on calling the, the Basin and Bend uh, Guest Bartender Series. I was going to ask about and, that. And the concept is um, bringing in an industry, let's just call it an industry professional, or someone that is is active and out there, be it in the fishing side or the hunting side, but then expand that to wildlife photography or backpack, uh, backcountry backpacking, camping, mm-hmm. hiking, photography, mushroom foraging, all kinds of things, anything that pertains to this outdoor lifestyle. So it opens it up to a, a little bit broader audience outside of the hunting and fishing, but uh, and then also bring in some some local beer. And the concept is we at the store will provide the beer 
we'll open the doors at six o'clock in the evening and when the store closes. When the store, so yeah, we never really close the door. Right. But uh, yeah, six o'clock. Reopen the door. There's <laughs> the the business to personal or kind of you know social changeover that happens. Yeah. So uh, you come in, have a beer, and the idea is it's it's primarily going to be the local people, our local customers, mm -hmm. because they're you know it's something that they're going to come in and have a, a social evening. But come in and have a beer and meet the other people that are in this little niche that we've started to create here. And then um, meet the person that's doing the presenting. And then they're going to do a presentation. And we're all going to learn something. And even if you're a professional in that industry, you're going to learn you know, about how this guy does what he does and why he does it this way. And even if you're not going to become a professional photographer you might have some interest in how this guy captures these images. How does he stalk those animals? How does he, you know, carry his gear? What kind of equipment does he use? Why does he shoot this image and not that image? And uh, so we put that finally into play. We had that uh, last, was that last week, two last, weeks ago? Last Thursday, I think. Yeah. Um, and it was great. I mean, we had what I thought was a, a fantastic turnout. People came, um, you know, the concept worked, uh, and I think everybody had a good time. So we're going to start putting that into play on a regular basis but nice. and try and spread that out. So we'll have somebody maybe on the fishing side next time or somebody on the backpacking side or right. hunting or anything to do with the outdoors. But as a as kind of like a separate little wing to the business that's mm -hmm. more oriented around let's get together. We're yeah. all into this kind of stuff. Let's meet each other, get together, have a good time. Well, it's a cool little spot. It's a great place to have mm -hmm. an event like that. You know, it's... Mystical hangout. Yeah, I kind of feel like we're in a treehouse right now. <laughs> you guys feel like <laughs> that all day? A, that's a good. You got to come up some up steps, of what's, a couple, yeah. couple flights of stairs there through some trees, and there's a hill on the one side. It's, it's, not, it's not your typical strip mall, that's yeah. for sure. It's definitely not. And there, at any given point, maybe a herd of elk or deer wandering around in the parking lot yep. or on the hillside right here. Yeah, yeah. it's like the middle of. They haven't, nowhere they haven't town. tried to come in the door yet, but they've, they've gotten right above the deck. And Have they? I, oh, yeah. yeah. They stand right outside the door. Very cool. But. Yeah, we, we had a fox hearing. that tried to come in the door, but no, no deer or elk quite yet. So I keep hearing plenty, these stories of all the plenty elk. Plenty of wildlife here, here in, in Evergreen. For I sure. bet up here three times now. I've not seen an elk. <laughs> you you got to call ahead. You got to get on the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a cons uh, conspiracy, man. Right. Just to try to get people out here. Yeah. It's all photoshopped. We yeah, just post it online, and it's all fake news. <laughs> <laughs> so. Beyond the bartender series, you called it, right? It's mm -hmm. Thursdays, every other... Well, we're going to start... Uh, I think we will shoot for doing it once a month. Once right a now. month. Get it up and going. Um, and we'll see how it goes from there. Uh, we we both have wives and, and young daughters. We need to see them every once in a while. Every now and then. So <laughs> yeah. if, uh, if we can get on the, on the schedule and routine of doing it once a month, I think that would be a good start. I think it'd be probably just right. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. People don't want too many things going on right. or they stop coming because I'll just catch the next one. I'll just do the next time. Yeah. Yeah. We want to keep it to where you want, you're anticipating the next one. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a month. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's I think just my two cents. I don't have any pull here, but. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that'll build, I think, uh, on itself. You know, the people that came to that first one, I think those people show up for the next one plus yeah. the, the people that they told about their experience and it'll just go from there. And it's a free to patron, you know, just come in. We'll buy the beer. Yeah, it's totally free. Yeah. Come in. No, you know. Um, you don't have to buy anything. No. And we we like to know how many people are coming to an event, which is difficult if people just show up at six and you're like, oh, right. there's 500 people here or there's two. Yeah. You have no idea. 
So we're throwing around the idea of, you know, doing some raffles, coming up with some giveaways and things if you RSVP for events. So um, if you RSVP. Because yeah. I, I did RSVP for the last one and then... I and then didn't show. And I didn't show. You were one of I those ruined guys. the whole thing by not being here. <laughs> That's why we had all the That's why we had the beer. leftover beer. <laughs> You're planning on me coming. We got one keg, too, keg size too large. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, no pressure, no BS, no nothing other than come in, meet some fellow like-minded people here in the community, and, yeah. you know, maybe spawn some new friendships, learn something, and go back home. In a, in a shop like this, it's a good place to meet people that, are interested in things you're yeah. interested in. Yeah, and like Eric was saying about, you know, the people that we deal with by default almost for, for both Eric and I are our kind of people. So, yeah. and, and I know, you know, we've both now had experiences since we've been open where there's there's people that have come through the shop that are now repeat customers that are, you know, people I think, you know, if they called us up, we'd be like, yeah, sure, we'll hang out with you on Saturday. What yeah. you got going on? Cool. And that's, a, you know, that's a huge bonus. It is a huge bonus for you and for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the other thing that we're we're starting to to kind of dive into too is the educational side. So we're we're doing you know free fly fishing classes on Saturday mornings. Oh man, you're just moving along. I to mean, it's just I so many <laughs> so many folks that you know they they've asked you know like well I I got a a setup you know from for Christmas or something along those lines or I went on a guided trip and I just I'd love to learn more you know so trying to put those type of programs together and I I. Next, I'm looking at the hunting side as well. There's a very, I feel like there's a, a pretty big resurgence in folks wanting to get out and, and figure out how they can harvest their own, you know, free-range organic meat and all that, you know, that, that aspect of it. People are getting into it later in life. So having a, an opportunity to learn that in, you know, a very low-risk situation and, you know, just you're not having to buy anything. You're just coming and, you know, basically use my my lifetime of experience in uh, hunting and just, <laughs> you know, show you the ropes, tell, yeah. tell you what, what you need to do. So that type of stuff, you know, where I, I just, there's so many fun things to do with hunting and angling and the, the greater adventure of the outdoors that I, I just, I want to share that with folks right. and mm-hmm. get people involved. I mean, you know, I, I kid with people and I say, we're building an advocate army. And the, the idea there is that, you know, <laughs> we are doing this for conservation, but you, you need people that, are going to speak up and and put their their hat in the ring when it comes to, you know, fighting for what we what we love to do, whether that's hunting, fishing, or just out enjoying our public lands and whatnot. So, yeah. the more people we have on our side and, and behind us, the the further we're going to get in that fight. And so, the more educated those people are. Yep. As well. Hundred percent. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, you guys are just saints. <laughs> no, backcountry saints. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, I, I think we're doing something that, um, to us, feels right. Yeah. Um, and it's it's who we are, whether we're doing this business or not. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we can take, uh, like Eric said, a lifetime of experience in the outdoors, mm-hmm. whether it was hiking, camping, backpacking, fishing, hunting, and anything even to do with those topics. Um, you know, we've both been doing that completely on our own outside of anything potentially revenue generating. Right. And uh, for the sole reason that it like kind of fills our souls, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, calls to us. So being able to pass that on is, is huge. Um, I think hunting and fishing are, are two of those things that if you don't have someone to mentor you, if you don't have someone to show you the ropes or show yeah. you their passion for it, which can then, 
ignite your passion for it. And that's yeah. usually something that'll happen, you know, father to son or grandfather right. or an uncle or your buddy's dad or your buddy's grandfather. But there's a lot of people that don't have that option available to them. Right. So if we can provide that to people that, you know, they drove down the street and they went by Bear Creek or Clear Creek and they saw a guy out there fly fishing and they looked at it and they were like, wow, I saw that movie, A River Runs Through It. And I, that just it just looks so much like such an enjoyable thing. But how on earth do I get into that? Yeah. So if we can provide that to them um, and pass along, I think, that love that, that we have found for the outdoors, then, you know, we've done something meaningful. Right. Outside of business. Well, I think, so I was asking, like, why based in a bed? Like, why did you build this store, you know? And it sounds like you you just want to share so much that you you needed a, a platform better than just going to work and having some cooler talk, you know? Yeah, you know, they, they say that. I, I even have a, a little reminder there on, on my desk that, you know, you you can't do great work unless you love it or... I, I need to look at the quote. I'll look. <laughs> yeah. might, might want to memorize that. And then right. there's a, there's another one that's uh, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you work with turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only way to do, do great work is to love what you do, and yeah. so you know that's that's kind of where we're at. And you know they also say that you you'd never work a, a day in your life if if you love what you do as well, mm-hmm. right? right? So yeah. um, kind so, of the combination of those two things that started doing what you love and yeah and, and part the, of what you love is sharing what you love right? yeah and the retail aspect of it is is kind of the root of the whole thing because we're you know we need you know there has to be funds to do this you know we need funds to keep the store open we need funds to donate to these organizations in mm-hmm. order to do the conservation work that they're doing so the root of it is this retail operation but having that footprint and that base allows us to do these other things these other programs and have a place where we're physically at and people can come in and ask us questions and we give them answers. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, Oh yeah, I'd love to share my experiences and my knowledge with you. But if you can't find me and you don't know how to get a hold of me, it doesn't do anybody any good. Right. So, you know, I've loved having people come in the shop and just ask questions and yeah. being able to give them all kinds of information based on firsthand experience. Yeah. Let's, well, I mean, that's one thing. You guys are both super approachable people, it seems like. Um, yeah, I would, th- I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that helps. You, you don't, know. Yeah, you don't walk into the store and just think, oh, man, these guys are way better than me. I'm going to just leave because I'm out of my league. And you guys have the knowledge to definitely teach anybody, I think, it sounds like. But but you're not yeah, I mean, uptight about it. No, nose not at in all. The air. And that, yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of that or the potential for a lot of that in in these both these industries, I would say that I've been to stores like that, and yeah. I don't go back because I'm mm-hmm. afraid to talk to people yep. there. And it's, you know, we we when we did one of these these intro classes, I like to tell people that you know, you could you could be that person that goes out there and on your very first cast, you literally catch the biggest fish of your life, but then you can spend the rest of your life literally l- learning all the different nuances and niches of hunt, whether it's hunting or fishing, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we're c- continually learning. I mean, yeah. every day I still have the potential to learn something about yeah. hunting or fishing, you know, whether it's learning about elk behavior, whether it's learning about, you know, specific insects that the fish are feeding on. I can take it all the way out to saltwater. I mean, a whole yeah. other subject, right? You right know, so yeah. 
you're never going to be an expert in either yeah. of these things. And if you're not learning, to me, that just doesn't seem enjoyable. I mean, no, I, I, completely I, want, agree. I, I, I love learning new things. And these, both of these hobbies, if you will, are, are so broad and you can spend so much time diving in as deep as you want. That mm-hmm. That's what makes it fun day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. One of, one of my favorite quotes, if not my very favorite quote, is, uh, I don't even know who said it, but I'm going to look that up later. But it's... Uh, at least you know it. At least I know it, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed here. But um, if, if you walk into a room and you're the smartest man in the room, yeah. you're in the wrong room. Yeah. And I think that that's a very important mindset to keep on yeah. whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. You want to always be in a position where you're always learning and have something to look forward to. Yeah. And, and like Eric said, there's a, a thirst for knowledge and experience. Uh, and I know that that goes for both of us. But I think with most people, um, and if you ever feel like you get to the point where you stop learning and there's nothing else to learn, um, you're, you're at the end of that road or you're looking at it wrong because that yeah. doesn't exist. We had uh, the speaker that came for, for our first um, guest bartender, mm-hmm. um, professional photographer, does uh, wildlife photography mm-hmm. and knows his stuff and uh, did a great presentation and at some point just voluntarily on his own said, I'm not. Uh, an expert and yeah. I'm not, I don't even remember how he worded it. Something along the lines of I'm not even, you know, a professional or something to indicate that he looks at himself as, you know, a student yeah. and anyone looking in from the outside would look at his work and, and how he, you know, does what he does. And, you know, he's top level guy, yeah. but a guy like that who recognizes the fact that he doesn't have it all and probably never will. None of us ever will. Right. But those are our kind of people. I mean, you know, yeah. like like he said, there's a you know there's a thirst for knowledge, and even if it's a, a little tiny nuance, yeah, it's kind of hunger for that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like you said, you know, if you if you think you're you know it all, you're either at the end of the road, or you're you're looking at it wrong. Yes, yeah. there's no such thing as. And there are lots of people like that. There are, and you know, those aren't our kind of people. Me, yeah, I I know what you're talking about. You know, and it even carries over to the conservation side, too, because part of this is learning how these conservation organizations work, how how they get their funding, uh, you know, for not even necessarily the nonprofit, you know, how they fundraise, but also how that money has to be allocated and, and how the government organizations have to use that money and, and you know, just how that whole game works um, to get these projects done is is also a learning process. So that's mm-hmm. that's, to me interesting and mm-hmm. and something that that I find enjoyable just interacting with these different nonprofits and and seeing what they deal with on a daily basis and, yeah. and well, what challenges they're they're up against to to really make a difference. A lot of it's trial and error, you know. A lot mm-hmm. of scientific method stuff going on. Yep. Yeah. Most things in life are that way. Most of the, all the good things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these uh let's get back to Saturdays. Every other Saturday, right? You do a free... Well, every sat- every Saturday. Every now, Saturday. We're doing uh, a free, and we call it the Fly Fishing 101. Fly Fishing 101 at like 10? From 9.30 to 10. 9.30 to 10. May go 10. a little long, depending. <laughs> depending on how talkative yeah. we get. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's at least doing it through the summer months, you know, just when people, yeah. when the majority of the people have, have it on their mind. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just a quick overview because if, if you've never even held a fly rod in your hand, again, maybe you've seen mm-hmm. the, the river and through it or whatever. 
Um, to to figure out where to even begin is is a big step. So oh, yeah. for me, the person that takes the time and is willing to come in here and just, just listen, right? Just listen and, and ask some questions. They're taking that first step into a what could be a lifelong hobby and a, yeah. and a passion that can literally take you all over the world, you know? So <laughs> it's time and money. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just something that I think is, is a good way to, to get the message out that, you know, mm-hmm. these things exist and, right. and they're enjoyable and it's another thing you can have fun with. Mm-hmm. So it's what do you run over in fly fishing one one? Eric, so we have two models right now. We have the Fly Fishing 101 mm-hmm. and then the Intro to Fly Fishing. So the Intro to Fly Fishing is the much more in-depth, longer, kind of go over all the nuts and bolts. And is that one the paid class? That's the paid class, and that's the one we're doing every other week right now. Every other week. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then every Saturday is every the Saturday. free and, and right now Eric's hour. been handling the 101. So Okay. So what kind of stuff do you do in You know, it's basically just there's a lot of terminology uh, and a lot of, I mean, if you're going to do any sport correctly, you got to learn the jargon, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so and dress correctly. Dress correctly. <laughs> right. You got to look the part and speak the part. <laughs> right. Walk the walk, talk the talk. <laughs> so it, it literally is just a a quick overview of you know what the what the the essential pieces of gear are. You know whether that's the the fly rod and the reel and what what the different terms are for those. You know even understanding. All right. You know, I, we talked to somebody that, that came to one that they didn't even realize there was different sizes of, of fly rods, mm-hmm. not only the lengths, but just different weights as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's simple stuff like that, that if, if you have never never seen it at all, you'd have no idea, right? Right. And so it's just kind of giving that baseline, you know, that's why it's one-on-one, just that baseline informative overview of this is the type of gear that, you use this is why it's different than what you may be used to and this is why you would want to fly fish in certain circumstances as opposed to maybe traditional um spin casting or, or whatever and of course there's no reason to tr- traditional spin cast right no there's there's plenty of reasons oh okay like i said <laughs> I, I grew up in the mississippi and yep. it, there's it's it's just as fun and it, it just it, it's a different tool it right? is a different tool yeah. it's a a different way of doing it and it it's not necessarily right or wrong. There's just certain waters that are going to be better suited to having a fly rod in your hand where there's other waters that are going to be better covered with a, a traditional spin casting outfit. So, right. And that, you know, a lot of people always, they, they seem like they want to divide, you know, you're either a fly, fly fisher person or you're a, a traditional gear person. Yeah. And it, to me, that that's just, Oh, it's like rifle hunters and bow hunters. It, it totally is. Yeah. yeah. And it, I don't see the point in it. It's just a waste of time. And whatever, you know, and I tell this to, to the students too, that fly fishing can be whatever you want it to be to you. You can spend as little or as much money, just like every other hobby in the world. Mm-hmm. It's what you want it to be and what you make of it. Right. right? So it, it doesn't have to be super expensive and, and you don't have to dive in head first. You literally can get a pretty pretty basic setup, go yep. out there and try it and, and see if it is for you. I was one of those guys. I'm still not any good at it, but I like to go out. I like to try it, you know, and, I, and luckily I've met quite a few people since being in Colorado that have been willing to take me out and show me a couple of things. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I caught my first three fish in the last two years or something like that with uh, a guy recently here. And, but uh, a couple of years back, you know, you're talking about different gear might be suited for different 
things better than others, you know, mm-hmm. spinner versus the fly rod in a certain situation. Uh, we did a little tiny river trip. Uh, we spent two days just hiking up this tiny river in the middle of, like, North Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Middle of nowhere. We're the only people on there. And just, like, like nine miles of this river. And just fished every hole on the way. And I'm the only one out of four of us that brought a fly rod hmm. because I just got it, and I was determined to catch fish with it, you know. No idea what the flies are. I'm just tying things on that look pretty, <laughs> you know. I'm not paying attention to anything that's around. I'm just, oh, that looks good. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, these guys all had little spinners, the little lures and things, and they were just dragging fish back in. Hmm. And I think the record that day, my one buddy caught, like, 76 fish. <laughs> Jeez. I, I didn't catch a fish. For the two days until like the last three hours, they had all pretty much stopped. Like we're done. We we've pulled in so many fish. We're just retired. And I finally got a fish on a little like stone fly, okay. just drifting down. And uh, they let me catch six in a row. And then we packed up and walked out. Nice. And uh, to me, those six were yeah, just amazing. Mm-hmm. And that and that goes back to you know it it is what you make of it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, there's guys that'll use uh, streamers, for example. You know, you go, I'm determined to catch fish on streamers because that's fun when, you know, I see that flash and and boom, that fish hits it. But you may only get two strikes a day. But if that's what you want it to be and that's what you're good with, then that's what you're going to go do. That's what you're looking at. And if you get that fish to eat, then that was cool to you and that's how you spent your day. Right. Yeah. And there's something very pure about it, I think, the, the art of fly fishing. You know, it's, there's a lot of thought that goes into, or can go into it, uh, but you're involved in every step of the process. You're not, and I'm not, you know, ragging on traditional style fishing, but, mm-hmm. you know, if you're just casting a lure out there and cranking it back and casting out and cranking it back, and then every once in a while something's going to hit this flashy thing that it sees, yeah. um, you still get the same end result. You get the tug on the end of the line, you get yeah. this beautiful fish in your hand. But for me, there's a very you know, a uh, nostalgic aspect and a, and a pure form to fly fishing that is attractive to me that you're, you know, presenting this to the fish, um, trying to fool it into thinking that it's just eating its lunch because it looks like the bug that it's eating. Right. Anyway. So the thought that goes into choosing the rod, choosing the reel, choosing the line that you're going to go out on this water and, and bring with you and then picking the bug that you tie on and then, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Like you said, you're out there for a couple of days. You don't catch anything. But, yeah. you know, I, I like to say that you probably enjoyed it. Oh, I did. And and then at the end, you kind of got it all, you know, it all came together. And you started to figure it out and you caught a fish. So I personally enjoy that, you know, that purest form of fishing mm-hmm. as opposed to just throwing stuff out there and cranking it back and hoping that something's going to bite it. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I fished the first 30 years of my life like that yeah. so um it's just uh it's it's almost an art form it is an art form it is yeah it's uh kinetic art it's it's fluid it's moving you're doing something you're involved in it and it's always changing to find yeah you know time of year it's yeah well in every hole you know 100 yards down the river it's a different river yeah so yeah exactly. it, it keeps you on your toes but you're involved 100 percent of the time which i like there's no just sitting, you know, it's not like you got a worm on a bobber and you're just sitting there waiting for a fish to swim yeah, by, just, you know, like, okay. Thinking about why glue doesn't stick to the inside exactly. of the jar and stuff. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things that, it, for me, it encompasses many other things that I enjoy, hiking, camping, backpacking, mm-hmm. um, just general wilderness exploration, backcountry, uh, and time on the water, which I love. And then, you know, this, this art form 
and you know figuring out what I'm going to put on the end of my line and throw out there and see what happens. And then that candy at the end is you caught a fish. Great. But even if you don't, it's, it was like a heck of an experience and it yeah. always is. It always yeah. is. Um, you know, even if you're right here in town fishing on Bear on Bear Creek, you know, you're, you're on the water, you're kind of away from town or you have your back to it yeah. or you take it, you know, nine miles up into the backcountry of Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those, you know, it's kind of a romantic get out, connect with nature. Sometimes I will just go take a fly rod into a piece of water that I'm certain has no fish in it, but I just want to be out there. You know, That's called casting practice. It's casting practice, and I definitely need a lot of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy the meditative yeah. state that I can get into in, in this activity, and it's a huge draw to yeah, fly fishing I, for me. I find that I can't think about anything else. No, nope. ever. Uh, even you know, like from the from the moment that I'm geared up at the truck and heading out, I'm looking at the terrain. I'm reading what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking at wildlife. I'm reading signs, and then you get to the water and you start reading the water and figuring out this is what I'm going to do and why based on this. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon it's dark. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, great. a lot of stuff happened in between, but you didn't think about, you know, you didn't think about, um, you know whether you had to cut your lawn or, you know, what bills you got to pay or, right. or anything else. You know, it's a, it's a complete escape from, you know, the, the daily. It's a very good escape from the daily. Yeah. So, sounds like you prefer fly fishing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm definitely a fly fisherman. Yeah. What about you, Eric? You have one that you prefer over the other? I mean, I want to lead into some maybe some some tips and some tactics that right. we can, if you're willing to share on the podcast here. Absolutely, a couple of things. I mean, I don't I don't know that I necessarily prefer it. I think I just because of where I'm at right now here in the West, I do it more often. Um, fly fishing, fly fishing, yeah. Just because if I do have limited time, I typically enjoy going, you know, whether it's into the backcountry or small streams and things like that. So, I think it's just out of uh, circumstance that I do fly fishing more, but. Mm-hmm. If I had unlimited time and could go out and fish every day, I I don't think I would always do just fly fishing. I, right. You know, I I'm the type of person that likes to be well rounded. Oh, you have too many options in everything I do, and it's you know. So that would be the same thing where I would I would want to understand how to, you know, fish bass really well from a boat or whatever yeah. you know with traditional gear. So and there's some guys who are just good at that, and it seems like that's all they do. Mm-hmm. I think a, a part of the draw for me is that I spent. The, the majority, you know, the first half of my life doing that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it. And there was this, you know, I always admired it. I thought it was, you know, this interesting thing, fly fishing, but it didn't yeah. exist in the Chicago area, uh, at least, you know, that I was able to find. Right. And, you know, you'd be, you'd be the odd man out if you showed up on Lake Michigan with a fly <laughs> rod, like you wouldn't do that to begin with. So then when I finally, you know, I'd moved out West and I, I, got into it and started to learn about it. Um, I think the reason I'm so into it right now still is that it's, it's like the next frontier for me in fishing when I've done that, you know, trying to learn all the time. Exactly. And and so what that's done for me though, is I take that now everywhere I go, I don't travel unless I have a rod and reel and some flies with me. Um, but even, you know, going back home, um, you know, I've, I've fished some of the lakes that I grew up fishing on, uh, with a fly rod and I've caught bass and, panfish and and all kinds of stuff so yeah. um but yeah I, I think it's it's still an ongoing learning experience that i'm enjoying right even though i'm you know a bit into it now um 
that's uh, I think why I'm so into it. Nice. I get made fun of all the time because I'm my, my friends. I don't catch fish. You know, I'm I'm the bad luck guy. If, if I come, no one's catching fish. Doesn't matter how good you are, <laughs> no one's catching fish if I'm there. You're the banana on the boat. Well, it, it's kind of viewed as a curse, but talking now, it might be somewhat of a blessing because I'm always trying to learn right. about yeah. whatever kind of fishing yeah. I'm doing. You know, yeah. It's just the silver lining there. <laughs> so, what? Um, I guess. Would you guys be comfortable talking about just real quick, maybe before we wrap up here, uh, just a couple tips for maybe someone who's looking to uh, do some river fishing, and then maybe some like high lake fishing, which we have a bunch of out mm-hmm. here in the Rockies. Yeah. From a river perspective, I think one of the one of the you know like like I mentioned, I I didn't I didn't fly fish when I was in the Midwest, and and so one thing that surprised me when I really started to get into it out here was just how small the flies are. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look in our bins here, and, and there's a numbering system that, you know, goes from, like, one knot all the way up to, like, 26 and, and even higher. And it's it's one of those reverse gauge things, right? So you look at a lot of our flies here, and a lot of them are in that 20 to 26 range, and that that is literally oh, just so a teeny. Minis, minuscule little, I mean, it's a tiny, tiny little hook, and you can't. You, you need tweezers to pick them up. You do need tweezers, tweezers for most of them. Yeah. And the thought that you know, w- when I was starting to learn learn this, the idea that a fish could actually see that small of a fly in the water and sustain themselves by eating those type of things just amazed me. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I remember I was, I was actually fishing down in Eleven Mile Canyon down here, not not too far from the shop here. And there was, I, I had been on the water for a while, wasn't catching anything. I mean, I was just flogging away at the water and, and nothing was, was biting. But there's two guys, you know, older guys above me uh, in the hole above me. And they were just pulling out fish left and right. And I was like, man, what, <laughs> you know, what, what is going on? I'm, I'm obviously doing something wrong here. So eventually I walked up there and just kind of, you know, started a conversation with them. And, and they were gracious enough to kind of show me the ropes and be like, well, you know, this is what this is what they're eating, and it, you know, it was, you know, an eighth of the size fly-wise <laughs> from what I was using. You're just like, throwing the biggest thing out there. Exactly, you, like, yeah. you got to be able to see it. Well, yeah. you want the big fish, right? Right, yeah. right. exactly. Uh, so, you know, that that was where the light bulb went on. That oh, that they, they really can see this really tiny stuff, and you do have to go down to that small size a lot of times for for a lot of these fish. Especially, you know, and again, it changes throughout the time of the year and whatnot. But um, I think. And I, I've seen that even here in the shop where people just, they don't understand that, that there are different sizes of mm-hmm. bugs that these fish are eating, and, and you kind of have to do that match the hatch yeah. and, and go with what they're preferring. So that was one of the tips that I learned, like I said, early that, that definitely made a difference that yeah. I think is, is helpful to people. I think when I was starting to buy flies, I, like I said before, I was just tying stuff on that I thought looked pretty, you know, mm-hmm. it caught my eyes mm-hmm. and things, and, and I think I was tying sizes on them. I was like, yeah, I, if I... If I had to eat this, that would, you know, a couple of these would be good. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Looks juicy. Yeah. yeah. So that's one thing I've been learning is the small stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think 22 has been the smallest I've been able to go so far. Just, yeah. But uh, the biggest trout I've caught uh, have all been on 20, 22, 24. Wow. Tiny little stuff. That's so and small. That, you know, when we're talking about Western, you know, Rainbow trout and brown trout, the, the biggest fish I've caught have been on those, and that drove home that principle to me 
Um, Those hooks don't even look like they're going to hold. It it's like the whole thing, bend. you know, that's part of they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's part of the frustration, <laughs> uh, especially when you go with real lightweight gear on purpose just to make it more sporting. Yeah, but, um, I was downsizing the rod just yeah. to get that fight in. Because you want to feel, feel like it. you're reeling a beluga whale in. <laughs> it's an eight, eight inch brook. Yeah, it's important. The sport is important. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, it's uh, it's surprising, and and a lot of people that don't know it and aren't familiar with it when they come in you know the beginners that come in even i remember when i i got my dad into fly fishing and you know pulled out pulled out the fly and showed him and he was like what are you you know you're joking right <laughs> yeah. that's this is a joke it looks like a joke. no yeah <laughs> it is um <laughs> feels yeah. like one most of the time mm -hmm. i think one of the other i don't know if you have any other kind of thoughts trying on tips i've got another one that um i, learned I, I would that. say so uh, real quick i mean that's specific for or not real specific for either river or high lake. I mean, yeah, that's not just necessarily. Kinda, like you said, it changes throughout the year. I would say it's more it's more appropriate for the river, but typically when you're when you're fishing those high alpine lakes, you're doing it in the middle of the summer, right? Because mm -hmm. they're they're locked up. Yeah, they're especially ice when you're most really high high alpine, right? right? The ice is on those for a long long time. Yeah. So typically up there, you are using bigger bugs because it's they're open during a time of year when those bigger bugs are available. Gotcha. Right. So I would say it's it's more appropriate for the rivers using these these tiny small things, but there gotcha. there's situations where you can use small stuff in in the lakes too. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, the high alpine lakes a lot of times it's it's uh, food sources that are a little bit larger. So trout, as far as I understand, I'm a very as I've already stated, not really a fisherman. I just regurgitate things I've heard. <laughs> but uh, it always does kind of surprise me to see what a trout will eat. Like we're talking about how small stuff they eat right now, but Sometimes these streamers and yeah. things or even lures can be massive. Well, and I think, and that plays into what I was going to add, um, my, my thoughts on that. I, I think advice-wise, I would say having, you know, a reasonable selection of things in your fly box to cover a, a big um, a big area in the sense of um, not being afraid to change your patterns up and pull off that little midge and tie on maybe the same size as, but in a red or a green yeah, and then the adding, you know, fishing a bigger rig where you have multiple flies in in your in your pattern mm -hmm. or in your system or rig we call it, um, but tying on other things like worm patterns and egg patterns and things that aren't necessarily bugs, but that depending on the time of year and where you're fishing and what's going on in the environment, um, you know, there's these things in the system that the fish are eating. Just kind of suspended in the water. It, well, and so, you know, like during runoff season, you know, we'll have worms in the system. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, having a worm pattern can save your day. Yeah. Uh, during the spawn, uh, you know, rainbow spawn in the springtime. And so there's a lot of eggs in the system. So fish learn that. They're eating the eggs, so have some eggs with you. But not being afraid to throw multiple patterns on your rig and... You know, if you're not getting results, changing things up. Yeah. You know, don't just fish that pattern because that's what you saw, you know, in the system. Okay, this is a, you know, a small caddis nymph. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, I'm going to fish that all day long until the end of the day. Well, if it doesn't work, don't be afraid to cut that off, put it back in the box, pull something else out and try it. That's my problem is that I, I don't know when to call it it's not working. Yeah. And so I, I, I feel like sometimes I overfish a certain pattern mm -hmm. or a certain... Uh, and the and the only other rig. advice I would have, especially on the river, is uh, covering ground. I love you know fishing a spot and moving on, fishing a spot and moving on. Mm -hmm. um, it, just from the adventure sense, you know you get to cover more ground and see more things. But right. 
you know, if, if you feel relatively comfortable with your abilities and, you know, the bug that you got on the line and you didn't get anything, don't spend the next hour throwing it in that same hole. Move, keep moving. So if, if, a, if a rig's not working, a bug's not working, you can either tie on a new rig, new bug. Mm-hmm. Am I using any of that right? Yeah, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Perfect. <laughs> Learning this jargon here. <laughs> or you can move on. Yeah, a couple and, and or both. I, you or know, both. You fish out a hole, you know, you, you, get a, a, you get a strike, you miss it, you fish it, you don't get any more strikes, move on, that fish is gone. It's gone, yeah. Uh, or you, you pull a couple nice fish out of that hole, and then it slows down. Well, those fish learned their lesson, and they went home, and I'll move on to the next hole. So when a fish moves out of a hole, does it generally move up or downstream? Yeah, there's a random. Yeah. It's not like you can't really just, oh, yeah. he's, he went down to the next hole, yeah, he went up you, to the next hole. If you're working your way up, upstream, you know, you're coming in basically behind the fish, then there's probably more of a tendency that if you do spook them, they're, they're not going to go towards, mm-hmm. you know, what they, they see as a, right. as a threat, they're going to go away from it. So. Gotcha. And realizing that the fish, when they're sitting, you know, for the most part, and generally speaking, when they're in the water, they're facing upstream. Right. So when you approach Fighting the river, current to yeah, stay in a spot. So exactly. So sense. you don't want to, and, and there's, you know, some, some truth to the fact that if, if you can see them, they can see you. So if you walk into a hole and you're looking at the fish, there's a good probability that fish can see you and he's out of there. Yeah, I've heard you start so seeing when you're, shadows. When you're working a river, move to the next hole. Moving up river is can be helpful just from the the standpoint that you're not necessarily going to spook gotcha. the fish out of the hole as you approach it. One last thing on lure size before we move on, or fly size, I guess. I've heard that if you're looking around, there's a hatch going on or something. There's all these bugs in the water, and they look like they're a 22 or whatever that you should fish one size up so it stands out slightly. Is that is there any truth to that? There is. I mean, it's it's kind of in extreme cases, though. If you are, let's say you're catching a mayfly hatch where there's literally, you know, hundreds of, of adults mm-hmm. or duns, you know, on, on the water, What what is going to make your fly, you know, you throw yours out there in the current, what what is gonna why why is that fish gonna yeah, choose it's, yours it's one when it's million. got yeah. and it's got a string tied to it right yeah. exactly so yeah there there is some truth to that that you can try maybe adjusting the color a little bit or adjusting the size one size up or down and sometimes that's gonna work and other times they're not gonna give a hoot that mm-hmm. you know yours is that they're still just gonna eat yeah. you know a lot of times those trout they take the path of least resistance too right so if the food is coming to them and your fly is a foot to the right. But they've got three three naturals coming down them down towards them. They're just going to sit there and let them come into their mouth and you know kind of the feed, feed themselves, huge. right? Yeah. yeah. So they're sitting in that feeding lane, waiting for that food to to come straight to them. If they don't need to go a foot to the right to grab your fly, they're not going to. That makes sense. So they call that presentation, right? Yeah. Is that, well, you, you present your fly. Yeah. To yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that I and like that, that can term. you know that's where the the skill in casting and, and fishing and reading the water and, and learning how to, you know, get a good drift through there to present it to a fish where, and it's in theory. Okay. So here is where I think the fish are going to be hanging. If I look at the water, so I think they're going to be here. So I want to present that to them in a natural drift coming downstream to them. I don't want to have it, like Eric said, four or five feet off to the side because a, the fish may not even see it, but he doesn't need to expend that energy to dart out there into the current, grab it and come back. Right. So you want to get to the point where you can present something that 
looks natural. So you start the drift way ahead of the fish. So by the time it comes down to him, it looks like that bug floating down the river. Right. But you want to float it right over his nose if you can. And that's sometimes hard. Yeah, absolutely. Read that, that current pattern. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've tossed things out right in the perfect spot before, you know, you think, and then all of a sudden the water starts taking it over there. Like, What's going on? Right. Well, and that's way out of the way. That's kind of that art, you know, the art versus the science. Um, you know, there's all kinds of theory you can put into play, but it's going to happen, you know, like the current might, you know, dart over here and mm-hmm. ruin your whole drift. And you didn't plan that, but it just happened. So. It's always very interesting to, I don't know, sometimes I think I get a little sidetracked actually just watching where my fly goes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just cast out. I'm not fishing anymore. I'm just casting out because I like to see like the little eddies and the weird things that are happening mm-hmm. to the fly in the water and what's going on. You yeah. can't really see just looking at the river. But when there's something floating down at like your fly, you start realizing, holy crap, there's so much. Yeah. There's microcurrents yeah. everywhere. Oh, yeah. The hydrology is, is insane sometimes. I mean, yeah. yeah. You'll you'll have nymphs sometimes that you know are heavy enough that they should they should sink and then it hits a little up you know upwell of water and all of a sudden your nymph comes straight up to the top of the water. Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So or just well, drag straight down underneath the rock. Yep. Yeah, that's always the worst. Because then you're sitting there fighting everything, <laughs> mm-hmm. splashing around. That's all part of the fun. I mean, it is all you know, part and of the fun. You can't avoid any of that stuff. You yeah. Know, that, and that's part of, you know, it's it's fishing, not catching. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, you could put take the best, you know, champion fly fisherman in the world, and, and he'll have goofy things happen. He'll have off days. He won't yeah, always slay it all day long. He'll right. have days where he gets completely skunked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's part of the, the lure of fishing. Yeah. You know, you one don't know what's around the next corner. One of those just... Enjoy the process kind of things. Mm-hmm. Well, and otherwise you'll become frustrated with it and then it becomes, you know, it's not enjoyable and exactly. it's a, a stressful thing and then all of a sudden you're a golfer. Exactly. <laughs> Let's not get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for agreeing to uh, chat with me tonight. Really Thanks appreciate for it. Us. Yeah. Hopefully I didn't take up too much of your time. Yeah. Not really. at all, no. We're, we're always happy to share and, you know, like I said, we... Part of this is just sharing our love for the outdoors, and it just happens to be that's through this particular you know vehicle with the shop and all that, yeah. and, and trying to protect what we love. But you know, the more people we have out there doing it, the better, uh, long term, you know, to protect it all. So, I really admire the uh, the conservation side of things you guys are doing. Um, not you know, people look at it like oh, the eleven percent thing. Oh, that's above the two percent for conservation stuff. Like, oh, that's pretty great, but. I mean, all the way into just how detailed you guys are with it. I just think the whole thing is fantastic, and it uh, just brings a whole new di- dynamic to just being involved and, and knowing where your dollars go. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we're trying to, to set that bar higher, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, Hopefully some places start following suit. Right. Yeah, That'd absolutely. I mean, if, if people want to steal this business model, feel free to join us. I mean, because yeah. what we're doing here is – you know, something that's giving back to the resource itself mm-hmm. that if we don't go out of our way to protect, you know, ultimately we'll just go away. Right. Um, well, if every business like this one did what you guys are doing with this 11%, we would double the amount of dollars from the Pittman-Robertson and Johnson. Amazing, yeah. yeah, and and that's astounding if you think about that. What you like just you said, said, it's billions yeah. from from these other taxes. Right. And even if we're only able to make a small impact, it's an impact. Absolutely. And and therefore it's um, viable. Absolutely. Yeah, it's no small thing you guys are doing. I think it's highly commendable. So, 
Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, real quick, um, where can people find you? What's your website, Instagram, handles, Facebook, yeah. all that stuff? So we keep it actually pretty easy. It's, it's, so it's Basin and a Bend, and that's all written out. So the word Basin, as in a mountain basin where you find elk and things like that, mm-hmm. and all written out, and then Bend as in the bend of a river. Oh, that's, um, I'm glad you said that because I actually forgot I was going to ask about why the words yeah, basin. Where, where it came from, yeah. So you know, basically the, the hunting and the fishing side. Um, but yeah, that, that, that same handle applies to our Facebook page, our Instagram, Twitter, uh, and we also uh, have videos up on uh, on YouTube as well. YouTube, so starting to build that out as well. Very cool. So and you said it's basinandbend.com. Correct. Yep. Very cool. Go check it out, guys. Right on. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks again, Ryan. Appreciate Thank you. it, guys.